What I love about the act of uh, singing together like that is it reflects so much uh, the, the scriptural uh, thought of unity. Uh, even as we unify our voices um, in uh, praise to God, uh, we uh, unify our hearts. Uh, we have one voice together singing the praise of our dear Redeemer. And so it's what a joy uh, to be part of that with you. And um, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Ephesians. And uh, we're looking at chapter 4, uh, but just the first few verses, uh, first, well, few, I say, 16 uh, verses. We are going through the book of Ephesians um, in seven weeks with the goal of giving you um, a, really a skeleton uh, understanding of the book of Ephesians so that you can go back and restudy it and uh, get glean even more as you understand the themes throughout. And uh, we're kind of hitting high, high spots, so to speak. And I apologize, I have to reorganize my notes. I just realized I put things out of order. And um, so you're there in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. And um, I'm going to have you stand for the reading of the Word of God. And we're going to read the first 16 verses. I'll read aloud. You can just follow along. Uh, in your heart. It says, Ephesians 4, 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who has ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave himself some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying itself of itself in love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray that we would understand the subject of unity better and how you've gifted each one of us to, to contribute to that unity and so that we would have a unified heart in the faith. And we pray that the Spirit of God would make it plain in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, just by way of reminder, uh, chapters 1 through 3 uh, deal with our new identity in Christ, and it tells us about our new family in Christ. Because we're in Christ, we get a brand new family made up of Jew and Gentile. We call it the church, okay? Uh, and then we talked about our possessions, our position, and then a prayer for the church that Paul gives us. Now we're transitioning to chapters four through six, and this is how we live out that unity, how, how, or excuse me, how we live out that identity and 
live with this new family that God has given us. And we do that, as we'll find out in unity, we'll find out today, purity, harmony, and victory. And really what it comes down to is this, that the gospel story shapes our story. Uh, Your identity is in Christ, so the gospel is the most important thing about you now, because you're in Christ that he died, was buried, and rose again, and that you participate in that death, burial, and resurrection by faith. And so your story isn't independent of God's story. You see, it's all one story. (laughs) It's God's story. That's why we call history his story, right? Uh, And we need to see our story in his and say, hey, my identity is now in him, and it becomes about what God is doing in and through his people and uh, specifically through the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we would all agree that Jesus is throughout the entire Bible, right? He didn't just show up in the New Testament. The theme of Scripture's Old and New Testament is Jesus Christ. And what we find is this. uh, uh, Brian Chappell um, said, the imperatives of Scripture rest on the indicatives of Scripture. The indicatives are hey, or the imperatives are, hey, this is what you should do. The indicatives is, hey, this is what God did for you. And what we see over and over in Paul's epistles is that he starts with this. I want you to know who you are in Christ first, and then we're going to talk about what you now do because you're in Jesus Christ. You see, the, the problem with false religions, it always starts with the what do you do, and then that's what you become. In other words, if you do all the right things, then you're accepted by God. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, this is who you are in Christ, and now live out who you are in Jesus Christ. It always starts with what we are. Herman Ritterboss said this, the human instinct with every non-Christian religion reverses the order, teaching that who we are before God is based on what we do for God. Thus, any preaching that is distinctively Christian must keep listeners from confusing or inverting the who and the do. (laughs) We start with the who. Who are we? We're in Jesus Christ. And our performance does not take away what Christ has done for us. Now, will we live out the gospel because we're in him? Of course we will. We'll look at that in just a minute. So let's just dive right in and kind of see the themes of this passage. Now, the big theme of Ephesians, again, you say, boy, you do this every week. I do because I want you to get it in your heart, okay? Then every time you read it, I want this kind of playing. You're going to hear my voice, you know, almost like you're going to hear my voice in the back of your head saying, God's redeeming or reclaiming a corrupted creation through Christ, beginning with the church so that we might rejoice in him forever. He's going to finish that job, amen, and he's going to take away all sin. We make a new heavens and a new earth, but he's starting that good work with us, and we get to see God's amazing work in our lives. So exciting to be part of that. So uh, the theme for this portion of Scripture specifically out of the big theme is that Christ's work for us and in us will produce unity. Okay, now we're starting to see what Christ did for us and he's doing in us through the Spirit is going to produce some things. Unity, harmony, victory, all these, purity, all these things. And so let's uh, talk about God's purpose for unity is His glory. And if you've got your notes, you can follow right along. I've got some additional verses uh, that we won't have time to look at all of those, but I'll even give some that I didn't put in there that you can write down and look up later. We want you to study your Bibles. That's how you grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus. So we 
God's purpose for this unity found in this passage is for His glory. Because we're new, we're in Christ, we have a new identity. He wants to show that through His people how glorious He truly is. And as part of that, there needs to be unity in the body of Jesus Christ. And first of all, he starts with talking about to walk worthy of this calling. He says, you've been, ha- you've, you've been given this calling, and this is the calling of Christ to his people out of the world and into himself. You understand, he's making a brand new people. The most important thing about you isn't that you're an American. The most important thing about you is that you're a Christian, right? Uh, the most important thing about you isn't that you're a Chiefs fan, even on today. The most important thing about you is that you're in Christ Jesus. And he says, listen, that's so important Christ has called you out of the world into himself, and now you're going to declare how glorious Christ is to the world by how you live out being in Christ Jesus. He says to walk worthy of it. Uh, The word worthy has the idea of a weightiness. Uh, And the idea is like this. Hey, show the world the proper value or weight of who Jesus is. Walk up to it. It's a a tremendous thing that God has done by calling you into Christ, His Son. Now live that out through everything that you do. Matter of fact, the the word church is, in the original language Greek, is the word ekklesia. It means the called out ones. (laughs) Literally, when we meet together, we're saying, hey, God called us out, and now we're celebrating Jesus. Let's show the worth of Christ to the whole world, because He deserves our glory. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we shall soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Now, the grace he's talking about is the gift of grace, which is not just salvation, it is Christ himself. So, we could say, for the grace of God, or Jesus Christ, who brings us salvation, has appeared to all men. And he teaches us. What does Jesus teach us? When he calls us to himself, what is he going to train our hearts to do? It says that we should deny ungodliness, deny unworldly lust, but instead live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Those who are in Christ are being taught by Christ to live for him. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, he who says he abides in him, that's Jesus, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. That's the normal life. Uh, those whom Christ calls to himself, he will transform because he gives them a new nature. He gives them the Holy Spirit. He makes them be able to understand the word. And the Spirit is constantly working in their hearts in order to make them like himself. Or the Holy Spirit making him like Jesus Christ. We could say it that way. So we're called to live out this new identity in Christ. Let me say this. Uh, people who have a faith that does not change their life don't have genuine faith. Because Jesus Christ will always teach that person, if they're in Christ, to follow him. Doesn't mean we can't backslide, because we do. Doesn't mean we can't sin, because we do. But ultimately, people who know Christ and are in Christ will begin to live like Christ because that's what Christ does. That's what chapter 4 through 6 are all about. And this new identity glorifies Jesus Christ and the Father. And the Father. Uh, Matter of fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he says, Therefore we also pray always that for you, 
that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Why? That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ might be glorified in you. That's his purpose. And you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, he says to the Colossian church, hey, you should walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him and being fruitful in every good work as you increase in the knowledge of God. It is the natural, natural state of the genuine believer to be progressively transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, because that's why Christ called us to make us like him so that he could show his glory and his weightiness to the entire world, including the angelic realm as we saw last week. So that is the purpose for unity, is so that he might be glorified. So unity is a pretty big deal. He says, God, Christ wants to be glorified, and he does that by unity, okay? So the second thing we see in this passage is the protection of our unity is a high priority. Now, notice what he says he continues. He says, walk worthy. And by the way, notice the weightiness of Paul's words. He says, I beseech you, I'm pleading with you urgently, I'm exhorting you to walk worthy. This is a high priority for Paul. He says, because, and to, uh, the worthy of the calling with which you were called. Then he says this, how do we do it? with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now remember, we're talking about this mystery where God took Jew and Gentile, radically different worldviews, radically different people, and he's going to bring them into one and says, guess what? You guys are now going to be one people in me. You're going to go to church together and you're going to get along. This was going to take the Holy Spirit, amen? <laughs> because this can't be done just in the flesh. We can't just try real hard, try our very best to be unified. Although he does say endeavoring to keep the unity, sure. But we understand that the grace of Christ, because Christ loves his church, he's going to be working in us to help produce unity. Now, we have to cooperate with that work that he does in our hearts. The truth is, is we can get all bent out of shape and all up in arms about people being different than we are. But God has called us to unity, and he's going to work in us to produce that unity. And the first thing he says here is humility. Humility. I want you to see Philippians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 4. I want to look at humility from two different aspects. One, from kind of the negative view, you know, what humility isn't. And then one from the positive view, what humility is, Okay. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 says this, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection and mercy, he's basically saying this, if you've been transformed by the gospel, <laughs> is a way to summarize that. Uh, comfort, consolation in Christ, encouragement in Christ, hope in Him. Fellowship of the Spirit. Remember, it's the Spirit of God that brings us into one. So we enjoy the fellowship of the Spirit. We participate with the Spirit in us being brought into the body of Jesus Christ. Or we'll say this, we become part of the fellowship of Christ through the Holy Spirit bringing us into it. He says, any affection and mercy, he says this, fulfill my joy. Paul says, this is what pleases Christ, so this is what makes me happy. As a leader in the church, he says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He's saying, you know what that is? It's unity. It's choosing to set aside my personal uh, opinions and my personal desires and what I want and demand and say, I'm going to start thinking in terms of what's good for the body of Jesus Christ and how can we move forward together. 
right? He says this, one might equal, well, the same love means this, you have the same love for each other. It means you don't go and say, I like that dude, I do not like that dude. <laughs> He's saying, I want you to have equal love. I want you to work toward loving each other equally, okay? And then he says this, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. You see, that's the enemy of humility. Selfish ambition and conceit. You know what causes people to really become divisive? Pride. Pride. And selfish ambition, we can just say it this way, I want things the way that I want them, and if you don't agree with me, then I'm not going to walk with you. Uh, I think you can see from this passage, God takes a very dim view of that. He says it's a problem. And I'm telling you, almost any problem I've seen in churches, it's where someone starts demanding it has to be my way. And usually it's because of a pride that says, I'm the one who knows best. They're not willing to yield themselves and their will for the good of the church. And really, they're not yielding to Christ. They're not yielding to the Holy Spirit who always works to help bring about unity. He says this, but in lowliness of mind, that's a wonderful way to say humility, he says, let each esteem others better than himself. It's not about me, it's about us. It's not about what I want because I know the best good. It's about what is good for the whole body of Jesus Christ. Let each of you not only look out for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. You know what it is? It's a, not a me, it's a we. And it's done on purpose. We say, Lord, give me the kind of spirit that where I'm willing to work, even though people are different than me, even that we're, we have different, we're going to have different ideas about things, we're going to be at different stages of our understanding of, of, of different things, we're going to be at different stages of growth. I see that differently than ad, that other person. But we're all unifying around a central truth of the gospel. And so we say, you know what? I'm going to love that person even though I disagree with them. That is a choice we make. And here's the truth is, if we don't make it, pretty soon we start finding reasons why we don't like the people around us in church. And we start saying, it's got to be my way or the highway. And you know what that does? It divides the church, and it hurts. I, I, what I've seen is most church splits start this way. It's got to be my way. And then they start talking to other people, say, say, doesn't it have to be this way? Yes, it has to be this way. And pretty soon they've got two factions and they're warring or sometimes three four ten factions warring and instead of focusing on where they agree they focus on where they disagree and pretty soon the church splits and Christ's name is harmed it's not showing the weight of Christ it's saying Christ is powerful not just not powerful for me to get along with this guy I, what does that do to the name of Christ? And what does it cause even our community to say about that? He says in lowliness of mind. Romans chapter 12 says, no one should think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. And you think, well, I hope he's thinking soberly. If he's drunk, he's not going to think very well. <laughs> no, soberly has the idea of a healthy, rational mind. He's saying, you need to have a healthy opinion of yourself. You know what a healthy opinion isn't? Thinking of yourself too highly. That's not healthy thinking. You know what is healthy thinking? Putting others before yourself. He says, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. An unbiblical view of your own wisdom, intelligence, or abilities will always lead you to act selfishly. Which leads us to the next thing. He says, gentleness. 
acting in a kind, mild, and even-tempered way. Colossians 3.12, uh, sorry, there it is, I'll have to go back. Huh. Uh, Colossians 3.12 says, uh, and put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and meekness is not weakness, it's literally, it's having power, but putting it under the control of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> and also yielding it to the, for the good of other people. I can use my power to get whatever I want, but instead I want to use it for the good of others and for the glory of God. And if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Learning to forgive people that hurt you. Learn to forgive people that uh, act um, uh, and that do things that are very painful to you. Maybe, maybe harm your reputation in some way. Perhaps uh, they say something cruel to you. Perhaps, uh, uh, you know, we've all experienced this and having to forgive. It says, but above all these things, you got to put on love. You see, love, which is the bond of perfection. Can we say this? It's the perfect glue that holds us together. <laughs> love is really what helps hold us together. We have truth, and we all gather that truth, but then it's love that bonds us together, or else we start getting really snippy at each other and start demanding our own way. Pretty soon, we're just creating issues. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Literally, the idea is this, to overrule. Whatever you think, let God's peace overrule it. I'm really mad. Let God's peace overrule you. Why do you think it needs to be this way? Let God's peace overrule you. In other words, you're yielding to the work of Christ, to which you were called into one body and be thankful. And so all these things, gentleness, is not acting rashly or harshly, not acting impulsively, and it goes back even to the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, that's too soon. Let's go back here. <laughs> um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 26, we read about the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's long-suffering, it's kindness. It's all these things. The Spirit of God will produce these things in you, but the problem is we dwell in this old flesh, and this old flesh is going to fight for our way. we got to let the Holy Spirit overrule that tendency. And then we also see patience. It literally means to be long-tempered. You say, man, I got a really short temper. Huh. Well, we all struggle with this. Uh, we all have areas that will just, it's our buttons, and sometimes people push the buttons. But our goal is to be long-tempered. It's self-restraint in the face of prov provocation. It doesn't act hastily or retaliate or, prompt puni or uh, punish promptly. It's really the opposite of anger, and it's associated with mercy, um, and uh, it's used of God. He works in kindness. And then he goes on and says, bearing with one another in love. The word for bear is the word that means to endure something unpleasant, painful, or difficult. The idea is to continuing to love and to fellowship with someone while working through differences and difficulties. And uh, it's to literally put up with them over a long period of time. And that can be very, very hard. But God wants us to realize that people around us are going to let us down. There's only one perf perfect person in the church, and it's Christ, the head of the church. The rest of us are going to struggle at times. People in the local church, including the leaders, are going to let you down. But bearing with one another in love means that you're willing to endure their faults and their frailties and their failures over long periods of time because you love them. You know, the when you think about the mind of Christ, it says that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for others, right? 
He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He did not come to be served, but to serve others. You know how you can live out bearing with one another in love? Is you just decide that it's not about what others do for me, but it's about me getting the chance to sacrifice myself and serve others. Whenever we start to say this, well, the pastor didn't do this for me. Oh, the, the, the leaders didn't do this for me. Oh, no one did this for me. And, and oh, they let me down here. And this person did. Whenever we start focusing in on how other people let me down, then you're going to find fault in the church. The, the truth is, is we're going to let everyone down at some point. But if your attitude is like, wait a minute, what did Christ, what, what was Christ's attitude? It's not about ser- me being served, it's about me serving any, uh, everyone else. Do you know that if your focus is on serving others instead of being served, then you're never disappointed because there's always plenty of room to serve, right? But when you start looking only at what people are doing for you, can I just say it this way? We'll never be able to live up to what we think, to what you think you deserve. If you think you deserve all this, well, we're never going to meet it because we're, we're sinners, but if you look, hey, it's not about what they do for me, what I do for others, but what I do for others, then there's joy. And then a heart for unity. Now, he says all these things, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. And then verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring. This is effort. It's saying it's such the heart of God that it ought to be our heart too, to preserve the unity in our church to say, because God cares about it and Christ died for it to bring us into one, I want to make sure and carefully protect that unity because it matters to the heart of God. Since Christ secured our peace with God and our peace with others, we ought to have a relationship and, and so that we can have a relationship in him, we ought to do everything we can to reflect and maintain that peace that Christ died to provide for us. And so uh, I would say this, a person, a church, or an institution who's always focusing on areas of difference so they can create separation instead of focusing on areas of agreement to create cooperation isn't really living out the heart of the gospel. We ought to look for reasons to work together, not just reasons to separate. Now, there's going to have to be times, I'll talk about, there's times when we do have to separate over error. It's true, because unity is always in truth. But we should be very cautious when we separate to be sure that it's something that God says we should separate and not just my personal desires. You know, Proverbs 18.1 says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages against all wise judgment. There's a picture of a person who is uh, isolating himself, saying that because he knows best, he won't listen to sound judgment. And here's the thing is, that person always ends up alone, ultimately, because no one is ever quite as smart as they are, not as quite as right as they are. But we see here the ground of our unity, and it's the work of the Trinity. Notice when he continues, he says, there is one body and one spirit. You've been called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all. You know what you see in there? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Literally, God is saying this, that the Trinity is at work to preserve this unity. 
God cares. I mean, you understand that in the Trinity, there is unity in diversity. There's three people all unified in one person. That literally becomes the picture. And so he says, we have one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit, one God, the Father of all. He's saying all these things that the Trinity, when the church is unified, it pictures the unity in the Trinity, and it honors God because it shows, puts on display who God himself is. That's why it's so important. If there's unity in the Godhead, there should be also unity in the body. That's sort of Paul's argument. And we could, without going through each and every individual thing, one body, we've already talked about that, right? He made us one new man, brought us into one person. The Bible often uses uh, terms in Romans and Corinthians of we're being like a physical body. We're hands, we're eyes, we're ears, but we're all part of one unit with Christ being the head. We have one spirit. Chapter 2, verse 18 says we have access to God by one spirit. We have one Holy Spirit that He's given us and He unites us together. One hope, one Lord, uh, one faith, and He says one baptism. Now, this isn't necessarily the baptism that we do. There's our baptismal over there. Um, I'll say this. It's not exclusively that external celebration of baptism, it first pictures the baptism in Jesus Christ, meaning this, that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God baptizes us into Christ. He, he immerses us into the life of Christ. And then when we, what we do here in the baptism, when we go into the baptismal waters, it pictures that truth. It's saying the whole world, Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. I believe that. That's the truth. And we all bear witness with them. Yes, it's true. And we celebrate with them. But it also pictures that person is in Christ and we're in Christ, so we're sharing this beautiful thing. So the baptism is both, yes, first of all, the spiritual truth, but also realizing that physical baptism is just a picture. Now, just to be sure that we all understand, that act of physical baptism doesn't save anyone. That's not, it doesn't complete salvation, it doesn't finish it, it's not part of salvation. It's simply a picture of our faith in salvation through Christ alone, amen? And so we want to make sure that we're clear on that truth. So the, the, the Trinity is one of the pictures, but also we see it because of the word of truth. Jude chapter 3 and verse 4, um, excuse me, Jude 3 and 4, there's only one chapter in Jude, <laughs> uh, so they don't use chapter uh, designations usually. It says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, basically, what was saying here is saying, I, I was going to write you a letter just talking about our salvation. But he said, I found it necessary to write about a very important subject that's a problem in your church. And he says it's this, that you earnestly contend for the faith that was once for all delivered. There's just one faith. There's not many ways to God. There's one way to God, and that's through the mediator, Christ Jesus, the man Christ Jesus. But he says, listen, there are people that have taken the, go have taken the gospel and twisted it. And because they've twisted it, they have departed from the truth. And so it is now our job to say what you're preaching is a different gospel because what does it say they do? They 
they turn the grace of God into lewdness. In other words, they say, hey, God's grace means we can do whatever we want. We can live probably an early form of Gnosticism that said, oh, the body is evil, but the spirit's good. So go out there and sin all you want in your body because it don't matter. It doesn't affect your spirit. That's not the gospel. Remember Titus? We already looked at that. He teaches us to deny ungodly lust. And so he's saying here is these people have come in to the local church. They have begun to teach error, and now they're confusing people. He says, you have to mark those men out. And they have to be taken out of the congregation. They have to be taken out of that. He says, you have to earnestly contend for the truth. So there are times when you do have to separate. But we just are cautious that it's a gospel issue, not just an opinion issue or minor differences that don't constitute a different gospel. And so then we see the practice of unity, okay? I'm going to go through this pretty quick. He talks about spiritual gifts. Now, I'm going to talk about spiritual gifts wider than what he does. Because there's other passages, and I put them in your notes. You can look up, and it shows the entirety of it. Here he's talking about gift offices. In other words, he talks about, we would say, gifted men. They have spiritual gifts that are designed to help the body be equipped for ministry to each other. Okay. By the way, when you read that, don't say, oh, these men's job is to do the work of the ministry. No, it says to equip the saints so they can do the work of the ministry. That is their ministry, is equipping saints so they can all minister together. But what we see is that God gives each person spiritual gifts. And I, he says it in the most, I think, just incredible way. He's like, you know why you have spiritual gifts? Because Jesus went and beat the devil. <laughs> That's essentially what he's saying here. You read this, he quotes a psalm, and he says, what does this mean? He ascended, he descended, and he exalted on high, and all this stuff. Here's the picture he's drawing, and this is not the only passage. There's other passages that kind of use this imagery. It's the imagery of when a king would go to war against another king, he would absolutely destroy that other king. Then he would take all the spoils of war. He would take all the stuff that he wanted. He would, and, and then he would lead captive those whom he defeated, and they would be slaves. And so he would, then he would go home to his home city and he would march him through the streets and the soldiers would take and fling the spoils of war out to the crowd. So the kingdom citizens would be like, oh, I just got a gold necklace. This is awesome. You know, oh, I just got some jewels. It's pretty awesome. And they're throwing out all these gifts and they're marching triumphantly through the streets. And this is the picture of Jesus Christ. He descended to earth. He became a man. He then conquered Satan and hell and death. Then he ascended on high to distribute the gifts or the spoils of war. And one of the spoils of war is that he gave you a spiritual gift that you can use to serve the body. He cared about unity so much that he gave each and every one of us a special spiritual enablement in order to serve the body so that we could have unity. He goes, unity is so important, I can't just leave it up to you. You should endeavor to, to maintain that unity with all these graces, like peace, or um, uh, long-suffering, bearing, and all these things I mentioned. He goes, but I'm going to give you a gift. And what's going to happen is you're going to take this gift, and you're going to begin to serve the body, and that's going to actually draw us closer together and make us stronger, more unified, more healthy, and more mature. You have a part to play in us being unified by using your spiritual gift. What often happens, though, is this. Let me just say this. What I find is this. Usually the people who are the least committed to their local church are the people who serve the least. Now, this has been my experience. I don't have a Bible passage that says that. But what happens is this. 
How do we bond our hearts to other people by serving them in love? As I begin to serve other people and begin to, to, to take what the Holy Spirit has given me as a spiritual gift, a special divine enablement, and begin to serve other people with it, their hearts are drawn to me and my hearts are drawn to them. I'm serving them. I'm, I'm serving in love. I'm speaking the truth in love, which he says later in chapter, verse 15. And as I serve other people, my heart is knit together with them. But people who don't serve, this is usually what happens in my experience. They become very critical about how other people aren't quite doing all they should do for them. And here's the thing is, is people who don't serve other people don't realize how hard it is sometimes to serve other people. It's easy to be critical of someone who's serving you and say, well, you know, if I did that, if I would have led music, if I would have preached that sermon, if I would have uh, ran that ministry, if I would have been in charge of that class, I would have, I would have, I would have, says people who don't serve other people. You know what happens when you start serving other people? You realize it is hard. It is difficult at times. And you, listen, you pour your heart out and people will sometimes stomp on it. And this is what you start to, you know what it does? It humbles you. It purifies your motives that this isn't about me anymore, it's about Jesus. I don't serve because people love me, I serve because Jesus loves me. And Jesus loves them. And you serve and you pour out your heart to them, and sometimes they don't respond very well. But you know what? It's not about your being validated. By the way, we should be thankful for people. Don't, don't say, it's like, well, they shouldn't expect me to be thankful. No, we should be thankful. If you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, you should be thankful. But by the same token, you learn how hard it is. And then what happens is this. You serve that way. You realize how difficult it is, but you keep on serving and loving even though you don't always reciprocate it. Paul said it this way. The more abundantly I love you, the less you love me back. He says, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? They hated him at some time. I mean, Paul had people just completely abandon him, and it, it ripped his heart in two. But here's the thing is, once you start serving other people, then when people serve you, you give them grace. You realize this is hard. They make a mistake. They do something. The, uh, another church member maybe is rude or doesn't quite do what they're supposed to do. And you say, listen, I love you anyway. <laughs> listen, this is hard stuff. This is hard. So you know what? I'm just going to give you some grace. I'm going to give you some room here. You know what people I think really want more than anything? is someone that will love them no matter what. I mean, does anyone really love to be part of a group that as soon as you make a mistake, they want to kick you out? Or does our souls really long for someone that will love us even when we do dumb stuff? And here's the thing is, that's one of the reasons why the, the love of Jesus Christ is so amazing. Because as many times as I've let him down, he still says, Jeremy, I love you, and that will never change. I love that. I don't have to earn his love, I already have it. And now I am free, uh, not free to keep on sinning. No, I, here's the thing is, I think if you really understand the love of Christ, you don't want to keep on sinning. You're like, with a love like that, it's kind of like when your spouse, when they really deeply love you, you want to do things for them too. Because you're like, I'm so loved. I just want to love you in so many different ways. I can't even think of the ways. I just want, I want to discover new ways. I think that's the way we are with Jesus Christ. The more we understand his love for us, the deeper our love for him becomes. And here's the thing is, if you have a church family that will love you even when you do dumb stuff. Now, we're gonna, if you do dumb stuff and it's evil, we're going to talk to you about it because we love you. That's part of our love. But the fact is, is that is an evidence of our love. That because we don't want you to go down a road that's going to destroy your life, we love you too much for that. But here's the thing is, in the end, we, be, 
we know that they, they care about us, and they're going to be there for us. And if I have to say I'm sorry, they're going to accept it, and they're going to forgive me, and they're going to keep on loving me. And I think that's what every person really desires, and that's why unity is such an important thing. And so we, um, I'm going to go through these very quickly in, in your notes. It's a, Christ gave gifts to the body. 1 Peter 4 talks about that. 1 Corinthians 12 gives a lot more of the gifts. That's not just one passage. There's several passages that list all the gifts out, okay? But this is what we know, is that the gifts were designed to build unity. He says, he gave himself some of these, the prophets, the pastors, teachers, the evangelists, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to edify, means to build up and make strong the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and grow up in Christ to the measure of Jesus. In other words, that's kind of walking worthy there, right? And so the church is unity and diversity. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there's differences of activities. It's kind of mentioned a, a lot of different things here. He goes, the spiritual gift that you have is kind of custom mixed by the Holy Spirit. Although there's gift categories, he says, there's certain things I want you to do to help your body. So I'm going to take and mix those gifts in a very special color so that you can add to the painting, which is the beauty of the picture of the church, which is really a picture of Jesus Christ. And he says, he, the same God who works in all, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for what? The prophet of all and when we keep that in mind it's like this isn't my gift this isn't well it's my gift so i get to determine how we use it no the spirit gave it to you but it's for the profit of all so i have to say whatever my gift is i have to i have to yield it to other people's gifts and they'll yield their gifts to me and we'll all work till we come into the unity of the faith one body one lord all these things that he mentions so we're different but the last but we're also all called to ministry i already hit that so I'm going to keep on going. And then lastly, uh, if you have your outline, point E is we must do all things in charity. He says in chapter fifth, or verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Really, what you see is love is dripping all over this passage. Really, we're doing everything that we do in love. So what is the product of it, okay? There's another passage. You can write that down and look that up later. Uh, nope, we're not ready for that yet. So I'm going to land right there. What, what, is the, what is the end product of unity, well, it's healthy, stable, and mature church. And I'm going to have to hit this really quickly. Okay? He says, till we all come to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, a perfect man. So it, it means this. We're going to grow up. Like Jesus is the perfect head, but sometimes we got this weak little body. <laughs> and he says, we're going to be growing so that the body matches and reflects the beauty of Jesus Christ. We're going to grow, but it says we're going to grow together. We all come to the unity of faith. Why? So we won't be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Now, I'll be honest. It seems like he's switching metaphors here. We're like children tossed around and like a wind blowing us around. That seems more like a ship, okay? But you see the idea. Um, some of you heard my horrible, horrible story. I still regret it, uh, but at the time, I tried to make a basket with one of my children uh, through a, a large uh, bouncy house. Uh, and uh, it was very easy to, to take my, my daughter. How old was she at the time? Four or five. And I thought it'd be really fun that this bouncy castle, and it had a hole in the top, I was going to take my daughter and throw her up over, make a basket, and she was going to fall in, and she's going to bounce and be like, ah, it's like a trampoline. It's so wonderful. It did not happen like that at all. Okay, so evidently in those bouncy castles, when you come from a distance, 
when you fall from a, a larger distance, you don't bounce like a trampoline. You hit it like it's concrete. And it's like, boom. And she went, thud. And knocked the wind out of her. And I could see on her face she was going to scream, but she didn't have any air, so she was just waiting until the air returned. She was like, Ugh. And finally it came back, and she screamed. Everybody's like, what, what happened? What did you do? And I was like, I just threw my daughter. It, it was very easy to toss my child around. I should not have. I learned my lesson. I thought it was going to be a lot different than it was. But here's the thing is, it was easy. It, it's easy to mislead children, isn't it? It's easy to kind of be push them around. That's wrong. But what I'm saying is this, is the passage is saying children who are not mature get led astray very easily. Ships that don't have anchors get blown off course really, really quickly. And so he says, one of the reasons we don't, so we won't be children like that. We won't be carried around by, listen, every wind of doctrine, trickery of men, cunning, crafty, deceitful, plotting. Listen, these aren't just people who accidentally got off on the wrong track. These are people who knew what they were doing, and they were part of teaching something wrong on purpose to lead the people astray. How do we combat that? By speaking the truth in love, and we'll grow up into him in all things. And he says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint is supplying. Every part of the body is adding to the good of the body according to the effective working by which every part does its share. We're all doing what God has called us to do with all of us bearing the burden of ministering to one another. It says, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You see, what does it give us? It gives us maturity, stability, and it gives us health. Healthy, mature, and stable. Unity is not about an external conformity to each other's ideas <laughs> or opinions. External, it's not external conformity that we're talking about. Well, you just have to agree with me because that's what unity means. No, unity is not conformity. It's not uniformity. It's not unanimity. It's none of those things. You know what it is? It's conforming to Christ. As I'm conformed to Christ and live these truths out, as you're conformed to Christ, Christ is at the center, and guess what he does? He draws all of us to himself, and it, as he does, he draws us to each other too. You don't have to be just like me. You don't have to think like me. We give each other liberty in a lot of areas. There are some things that we have to believe in order to be called a Christian, amen? And we stand on those truths unapologetically, and we earnestly contend for the truth. But there's a lot of areas we just have to say, you know what? We see each other differently on that. It's okay. So I'm going to end with this. And I think, I think it was really helpful for me. This is a prayer. By the way, if you have an outline, it's actually in there. So you can read along on your outline. It's at the very end on the, last, uh, on the back page, okay? Uh, Richard Baxter was a, a Puritan pastor living in the 1600s. And uh, there were some theological controversies that, that they had to endure and they had to work through. And this is what he said. This was his prayer for dealing with people who had differences. Not, on, not a different gospel, but just different position on some things. And this is what he says. Lord God, and this is a prayer. Lord God, when controversies occasion division among your people, may I look first to the interest of the common good and to the exercise of charity. Exercise of charity means that I would love them. <laughs> I would love others. I would look to the common good, and so I would exercise charity. May I not become passionate, may I not become a passionate contender for any party or censure the peaceable. In other words, rebuke those people who are seeking peace because I'm so intent on my way. 
may I not overreach my understanding or try to win esteem for my orthodoxy or zeal. In other words, I'm going to show people how I'm more biblical than they are. May I, um, may I suspect my own unripe evaluation and silence my opinions until I am clear and certain. He said, let me not just speak from the gut. Let me carefully go through and think about it before I make just a, a hasty reaction. May I suspect my own, okay, that's part of the, we already did that. Uh, may I join the moderates and peacemakers rather than the contenders and dividers. For division leads to the ruin of the church. It's true, and ruin many. The hindrance of the gospel and the injury of the interest of true religion. It doesn't help Christ. It just makes it worse. Keep me, I pray, from being misguided, from being carried away by my passion or discontent, from worldly interest, from thinking too highly of my own opinion, and may my zeal be more for the faith, charity, and you can't, maybe you can see it here, that actually says unity right there. Faith, charity, and unity, then for my opinions. I think that's pretty good. <laughs> that would be all of our prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that uh, unity is unity in the truth, so Lord, lead us to the truth. Those who depart from the the true gospel, depart from the truth, Lord, we know that they're choosing to walk away from the truth, so they're really dividing themselves, not us. But Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom to choose those things which are truly in regard to the truth, the faith once for all delivered to the saints, as Jude said, and contend for those things. God, I pray that you'd help us to have hearts of humility, peace, and kindness, long-suffering, to be willing to bear with people who are different than us and uh, to show them charity, to show them love in all things, that we would speak to each other uh, the truth in love. Lord, I pray that we would uh, use our spiritual gifts not as weapons, not, not as toys to be played with, but tools to build the body, and certainly not as weapons of war so that we harm the body. That God, that we would be so, God, so endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit with the bond of peacefulness, that we would take on your very heart and respond to things the way Christ himself did. God, I pray that you preserve our unity, but then also help each of us to work to protect it. And God, we ask that you would do it because we know we're not in ourselves. We're, we don't have the resources. It has to be the work of Christ. But God, we yield ourselves now to you and say, God, please, do this good work in us. We, we need it. And Lord, uh, my prayer is this. If there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, if they've never been made one with Christ through faith, that now they would see now is the day of salvation. They would see the, the, the free offer of the gospel and they would say, Christ is all I need. I'm going to reach out and I'm going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, the gospel is going to play and I think the spirit of God is working. Lord, I pray that their faith that they would just believe for God has commanded all men to repent and believe the gospel. I pray that you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here today. It's a, a pretty awesome privilege to be unified with you today, to join in unity of heart and mind and soul. And, uh, and I encourage you throughout the week, be looking for ways to, to, to build unity, 
by getting together with people, fellowshipping and serving one another. If you don't have a place to serve, let us help you with that. Uh, and then certainly if you need more information on the gospel and how to come to Jesus Christ, please talk to us and we would love to show you from God's word how you can be part of God's kingdom through Jesus Christ. Well, thank you so much for being here. We're dismissed.